Welcome to the Ben Don't Break podcast. We are powered by the Source Weekly, Ben's locally owned newspaper. This podcast is our eddy in the rushing waters of local journalism. We are glad that you're taking some of your time to listen to us chat with the people who shape our local community. I'm Aaron Schweitzer, publisher of the Source Weekly and your host. I am here with mountaineer and Bendite Graham Zimmerman. Uh, Graham is a professional climber one of the most acclaimed alpinists of his generation after graduating from Otago University in 2007 with a degree in geography. He focused on alpinism, a pursuit that has taken him on expeditions to Alaska, Patagonia, Kyrgyzstan, Pakistan, and all over the lower 48 and Canada. His awards include the 2020 Piolet d'Or. Did I say that right, Graham? Piolet. PLA, sorry, my French isn't what it used to be. 2016 Cutting Edge Award of Excellence in Alpine <laughs> Climbing, 2014 PLA Dior Top Five Finalist, and 2010 New Zealand Alpinist of the Year. Dedicated to using his platform for good, he holds leadership roles in a range of nonprofits and outdoor companies, including the American Alpine Club and Protect Our Winners. He lives in Bend, Oregon with his wife, Shannon, and their dog, Pebble. He is joining us from uh, Boulder, Colorado right now. Graham, thanks for taking some time to chat with us. Hey, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. What uh, What's taking you to Boulder right now? I am currently on book tour. Um, the uh, the book, A Fine Line, that I've just, just published and delighted to share with folks is uh, resonating with the communities uh, across the West. And so I'm out sharing. And it's been really special. Talk a little bit about how you got to the point where you wanted to write this book. The book's called A Fine Line, and it's the it's your first endeavor in this area, correct? It is. This is this is my first book. I've I've written articles about climbing for years, so uh, I have I have done quite a bit of writing over the years. But um, but taking on a writing project of this size is very much a new thing for me. And sure. it was a project that I really enjoyed. Um, and you asked like why I wrote the book and I'll, I'll share that I actually originally had pitched something else um, and to the publisher and the publisher is a, a group of folks who I know pretty well. And they came back and they were like, actually, we'd love for you to work on a memoir project. And uh huh. And it was really interesting to kind of get that feedback from them because I'm not, I'm, you know, not that old, um, 37 <laughs> years old, very much in the middle of my career, uh, would generally consider writing a climbing memoir, something you do when you're like an old guy looking back. Um, but sure. the opportunity to, to really look at my climbing career thus far, um, and, and really have a think about what I have learned and who I have learned those things from, and how I can share a story that that you know kind of makes makes those learnings available to the broader community turned into a project that I've I got really excited about, um, and uh, I'm really proud of what we put together. How did you know you're a you're a uh, renowned alpinist now and have won all these awards we just mentioned? But how did you get started in here? Where did the passion come from? That's a that's a great question, and was one of the really fun things to explore in the book i uh for me climbing is something that i gravitated towards in a big way but when i initially went climbing i don't actually remember enjoying it that much the first <laughs> the first times i went climbing were in high school and i had been spending a lot of time skiing and snowboarding 
um, in the mountains above uh, Seattle, Washington, in the Washington Cascades. Okay. And and I loved the mountains. I had a really great re relationship with them. Most of that was in bounds. I was starting to kind of venture out of bounds, and uh, and then was invited on a couple of trips to go um, climb some volcanoes. And I'll tell you what, I remember being tired. I remember being scared and hungry and like really, really not fit enough to be doing that kind of thing. And they, they aren't particularly pleasant memories, but yeah. there was but there was something about it that really challenged me and that I really enjoyed. And by the time I was 18 years old, it was pretty much all I wanted to do. And I was headed back down to New Zealand where I was born um, to cut my teeth in the Southern Alps. And yeah, digging into like what it was that uh, really attracted me to climbing was was actually one of the, like, the really enjoyable parts of writing, writing this book. Yeah. Did you have a, um, for being as miserable as all that was, there, there must have been some moment that uh, you look back on some key climb or maybe it was partnering with somebody where you were like, man, I got to, it, it had to turn for you. I mean, I know the experiences you're out of oxygen, you're starving, your fingers are numb. Uh, but, but something have ha had to have clicked at some point where you were like, man, I gotta, I, I gotta not just do this. I gotta be really good at it. Yeah. So I think there are kind of two things I can talk about with that. One is I, I grew up, uh, middle-class kid in North Seattle who didn't really didn't really have heaps of challenge like I was fine at school I was fine at sports I didn't really care about them um and and I you know I dealt with the challenges that any kid deals with but when I was in the mountains not only was I in this incredible environment um that I found really challenging but so the decisions that I was making had like real consequences. And, yeah. um, and that was something I think I really enjoyed. And then subsequently, uh, when I discovered what was going on at the bleeding edge of alpinism at the time, like the hardest alpine climbs going up in the world, it was very, very far away from what I was doing, of course. But it demonstrated where I might be able to go. And I really liked what that looked like. It looked like something where that challenge continued. I got it looked like a place where I could learn a lot about myself. And I mean, as a you know teenager, like it really rubbed my ego the right way. And uh, <laughs> for all those for all those reasons, <laughs> it became something that I uh, I, I pursued. Yeah. Did you, um, I mean, at some point you had to make the break between, or, or maybe you didn't, maybe you didn't have these pressures, but I, I know a lot of, a lot of people at, at that age as they're coming into something that's a passion over probably some more responsible undertaking like college, career, uh, you know, what did that look like for you where you're like, I think I'm going this direction, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to be an individual in the sport. Couldn't have paid very well at the time. Yeah, that's, I mean, these were, these were all things I had to figure out as I went. Um, 
my my it was you know an expectation in my family that i would go to university which was great um yeah. i'm really fortunate that going uh being from new zealand originally being born down there um i was able to go back down there and engage with socialized education which is really you know quite a quite an incredible thing to be able to do um particularly in a place where some of some of the most incredible mountains in the world exist um yeah. and that really set me up so that I went down there, studied for three years, got a uh, degree in uh, geography focused in glacial uh, science and um, and did a lot of climbing. And by the time I finished up down there, it was really climbing some of the hardest routes in New Zealand, which is a kind of wild thing to be able to say looking back. And uh, and then I had to figure out how to make money. I had to figure out how to yeah, pay for trips right. and try to figure out how to balance that. And I that that tension between the responsibilities of the rest of my life and these desires to go to the big mountains of the world to try these really hard objectives is this tension that has existed in my entire life. And um, like so many tensions in our life, uh, when I really leaned into it was when I started to find success. And that's a lot of what the book is about, to be honest, yeah. um, is, is how I have charted a path where I've been able to balance making enough money and working as a sponsored athlete and having other jobs outside of that. And subsequently how to build a marriage into that and how to build right. climate advocacy into that. Um, and that's, I mean, that, that balance, that tension is what is really uh, has been a really defining theme in my life and is certainly the defining theme of the book. How long have you been married? Shannon and I have been married about five years. Okay. Yeah. So she's she's been along for for a lot of the of the ride so far. Oh oh yeah. I mean we we first met back in 2012. So she is she's very <laughs> very present in the book. A good a good friend actually referred to the book as a love love letter to Shannon, which I think is just such a great description. Um she uh she has been very patient with me over the years and very encouraging of me and is also uh is also kept me in line when needed which is uh yeah. crucial <laughs> i mean for for an alpinist where you're going up i mean you're in a you're in a extreme sport you're in a life-threatening sport uh how how much is that weighing on you as uh your marriage continues to develop and your support systems there i know that's always something that tugs at you yeah it's a really good question and the thing that has been the most helpful for me is is a lesson that's captured in the book kind of under the uh, sort of this vernacular of the 100 year plan, which is this idea that was presented to me originally back in about 2011 by a dear friend, Kai Bune, um, who's really somebody it's he exists in the book as kind of a sage character and and uh, and it's very much what he is for me in real life as well and it's it's this idea of looking at a climbing career not as these kind of like moments when you can succeed or not and rather looking at this overarching plan of going to the mountains time and time again providing yourself with opportunities to do incredible things if and when the conditions are right and a big part of the conditions right are being right is um is the safety margins being correct and and being invested in 
going over and over again for a long life rather than a sense of, oh, this is my one opportunity. I'm going to take yeah, it sure. and like really okay. increase my risk profile. So keeping your risk profile at a sustainable level and having your focus be on a long, fruitful career as an alpine climber. And uh, when he was telling me that when I was like 25, um, you know, he kind of put it in terms of like, if you if you die in the mountains, it's really bad for your climbing career. Um, <laughs> and, he, you know, he, he knew where I was at. I, he didn't need to tell me like, also, if you balance all this other stuff in your life, then life just gets better. Um, right. But but it's been pretty fun because we've, you know, we've been in close touch over the years. And uh, and as I have found more balance in my life, he is he's really been there to celebrate that, which has been really special. Yeah, that's great. For for listeners, you know, what what one thing do people point to when they talk about your success? Like what's the what's the thing you're known for? What would resonate with people to understand like what what you've done that's on the edge or your pinnacles? Yeah, the thing the 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 thing that oftentimes comes up is the 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 climb that we won the PLA Day or for. Um and that was the first ascent of a peak called Linksar in Pakistan. And um, for context, the the PLA d'Or is it's French for the Golden Ice Axe, and it's the highest honor in in alpine climbing. Uh, sure. It's basically basically the gold medal of alpine climbing, and uh, and that's you know that was big news. That was something people got really fired up about, and it was it was it was really special to win that award. But I think it's really crucial for me to share that accolades are awesome and they feel really good but the best parts of my climbing career have not been winning those awards they've been the experiences out in those mountains with people that i adore and particularly sure. when i look at that climb on linksar it was nine days en route with three guys who are three of my best friends in the world and we were just in such tight sync on this incredible technical massive objective and and it was truly this uh this moment when we got to see that you know building a really strategic and strong team you can have this you know this equation where um you know the sum of our parts is far more than just than just kind of like basic addition we're able to like bring so much to that objective and uh and that's that stuff is just like that's that's the best part of climbing and that's the thing that's the most important and to have to have this climb on linksar which was this incredible climb on this massive peak that had been tried a bunch but never done before and to have that be this like magical experience with these guys and then subsequently to get you know the gold medal for it is was like pretty unreal right i mean my understanding of how that award comes is you know you don't tackle those peaks with the idea that like hey guys if we get to the top of this, we're going to get this award. It's it's more after the fact how it's done, you know, and and then it's voted on by the Alpine community at large, correct? Yeah, there's a, there's a committee that comes together for that, and yeah, it's I mean to kind of speak to it not being a competitive thing. Getting competitive in the mountains is a great way to get killed, and yeah. uh, and uh, if you're up there to like win awards or set speed records or whatever, like you're getting yourself into risk territory that that i would say is ill-advised um and uh and and so for me like you pick the you pick something that is 
the best that you think you can do. You build a team for it and you go try with, and the, and the only outcome that actually matters is getting home safe. But there's a chance that you're going to have the opportunity to do something incredible. And, uh, and if you try enough times and you'll probably bump into some of those opportunities and those are, those are really incredible pinnacle moments in a career of alpine climbing. Right. So one of the themes in your book is um, kind of the cost of these endeavors. I mean, the, the, there's the high side of winning the award, but in your book, you talk about how there's costs in those endeavors, both human and environmental, maybe touch base a little bit on that and your, your vision as you're going forward. Yeah. I mean, I, I, the, a big part of this book is loss. Um, I lost a lot. I have lost a lot of friends to climbing. Um, and we had a period there where the, the frequency of fatalities in the climbing community, um, particularly the folks trying big, hard, new things in the big mountains of the world, um, was really high. We lost a lot of people there. Um, and it was, it was very, very challenging. Um, and, and that's something that I really did my best not to shy away from in this book. I, I, I tried not to write a book that's just kind of, oh, all my friends are dead, but like, um, but I also like, it's, it's a real part of, of this endeavor. And, um, I spent a lot of time kind of exploring, exploring those feelings, um, which was, uh, which was challenging. I'm also like really happy with how it came out in the book. Um, Graham, no. I, you know, as you for, I mean, what do you attribute that to? I mean, I know I realize that you know, climbing that people have been climbing for quite a while now, and it's getting more and more extreme. If I'm correct, and and the challenges are harder. It takes a takes a unique class of person to continue to try to pursue what's left. Is that some of it? It's a really interesting question, and the answer is super complicated. Um, I think that, um, in some ways, modern technical climbing can actually be safer than, uh, traditional mountaineering. We're out on these features where if a rock falls off high on the mountain, it's likely to fall into the gullies and away from the buttresses. And most of the steep climbing that we're pursuing now is out on those buttresses. Um, okay. of a more safe, um, you just have to be a better climber. Also, the technology is a lot better. Our ropes are a lot better. Our systems are better. We're able to move faster with lighter weight equipment. Um, that said, I think that, um, you know, it's when, when you know, a generation climbers kind of get a bee in their bonnet to go really, really hard. Um, that's something we all feel together. And, um, and so I think that part of, writing this book was speaking to the current and future generations of alpinists and climbers and folks who just engage with risk generally. And I, I mean that not just in terms of like personal risk. I mean, we all, we all manage risk in one way or another, but really thinking about how we get at that risk and looking at it in a way where risk is a place where we learn. If we are out uh, pushing ourselves and asking a lot of ourselves and really forcing ourselves to rely upon ourselves, 
then those are spaces where we can learn incredible things. And that's a space where we need to exist in order to progress as a society and as individuals. Um, but we have to balance that against a need to not take on too much risk, to not, to not punch that up too high. And, uh, and I, you know, it's, I'm not, I'm not going to say that like we all took on too much risk there in like the, you know, the early 2010s, but, uh, but also like, you know, the, like we had a lot of, we had a lot of fatalities in the climbing community. Um, so maybe okay. like, maybe we were punching it up a little high and, um, and yeah, I don't, I don't know, but, uh, but really as I, as I think about the influence that I want to have on future members of this community, it is that risk is good. Risk is okay, but we must be very, very conscious of how we take it on and how much we add to our lives. Given how much, um, what's the word, you know, media coverage, there is now very intimate media coverage where climbers are, you know, filming themselves up on the walls. You know, you get, you get snapshots. I mean, people who aren't even alpinists are getting very intimate views of that risk at this point. And it looks very sexy when you put it on a, when you put it in a movie, when you put it, do you see a lot of people getting into to, you know, younger people getting into climbing for quote the wrong reasons or people who have expectations or risks that are beyond what they should be tackling due to the, just the more accessibility to, to the concept of the, of the, um, of climbing. That's a really interesting question. And I don't, I don't know if I have a great answer. Um, Cause it looks like a ton of fun. Yeah. I, I'll say that the young folks who I hang out with, um, they're really good. And <laughs> a lot of them are really smart. They've been able to accumulate a lot of knowledge very quickly because of how available information is on climbing. And and uh, and when I look at future generations of climbers and the skill sets available to them, the uh, knowledge base available to them and uh, and how they are getting at the mountains. It's something that gets me really excited. Um, do I like worry about friends out there? Of course. Um, that's yeah. kind of our being, being part of this community. But I, even though like a lot of the media is focused on, on like kind of high danger, high drama, I think the people who are really spending time in the mountains um, and who are like really authentically engaged with this community are doing so in a way that that I really like to see. Um, yeah. It gets me really gets me really psyched. Um, I, I think to be totally frank, like sometimes the media mischaracterizes uh, what climbing actually looks like. And uh, and there's a lot of drama, you know, that you can dig into. But um, and that's and that's fine if that like sells, you know, HBO subscriptions or whatever. That's all good. But um, but uh but for folks who are like actually deeply invested in climbing, um, right. I'd say it's a pretty different story. Right. So one of the, one of your themes in here is alpinism with social responsibility. What does that mean to you, Graham? Uh, I love that you asked that it is turning into more and more of what I do. So for me, climbing has been this thing that has been undeniably beneficial and lovely. It has been this, it has been career defining. It has been 
Uh, it has been really, really lovely. Uh, it has brought me partnerships and experiences that I don't think I would have even gotten close to otherwise. Um, and and something that I've that I've learned as I as I have been climbing is that not only is that really good for me, but those stories from the big mountains of the world and our experiences there and the and the clear changes that we're seeing there in terms of the climate crisis are actually this incredible tool for driving the systemic action that we need. Um, due to the accolades that I've received, I can go get meetings with uh, with Congress members or with the White House. And most of that is through work with Protect Our Winners. And that's and it's this ability to go get into those meetings and then make really clear asks in ways that represent the needs of our community and of really everybody in this country in terms of how we need to move forward on climate action, how we need for that to be very cognizant of its intersection with social equity and community health. And it's really turned into this component of my work where climbing and my stories from climbing mean a lot more than just my personal experiences or my ability to inspire, you know, our, our little climbing community. Okay. And instead there are these tools that we could leverage to change the world, which is really cool. Did you go to the white house? Did you meet with Congress? Uh, I was As there last of, week. You were? Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm over there pretty frequently. Um, yeah. Last, last week, uh, I was over there with Jeremy Jones and Kate Courtney and a team for protect our winners. And we, we met with all of the with a with a group of senators who I guess it was all of the senators from the uh, from the left side of the aisle, and then in like a in like a big big meeting, and then uh, and then had a bunch of one on one congressional meetings, and then went and spent some time working with the administration on uh, on climate action, and that's something we do a lot of, and we also yeah. like reach out to our communities um, and do regional like state state and local work as well. What's your specific ask of them when you get in front of them? I mean, what is it that you're, what is it that you're leaning on them about? That's a great question. So in terms of the work that we're doing right now um, with Protect Our Winners, it is primarily focused on clean energy uh, infrastructure. So we passed the Inflation Reduction Act last year, which was a huge deal. And that was a big omnibus package that primarily funded uh clean energy infrastructure development. And so now we're looking at that infrastructure development that's going in to understand what gaps we could help fill. And the thing that that our team has seen where we need to apply more work is on transmission. So we're actually, we've written a transmission bill over Protect Our Winners that we're um, working through Congress. And that's, I think, going really well. And it's a transmission bill that's not only focused on building the infrastructure that we need, um, but also making sure that the communities that the transmission that that transmission infrastructure runs through benefit from housing that that infrastructure. Um, and if you're wondering why infrastructure and clean energy associated, you know, clean energy is all about electrify everything and then clean up where that electricity is coming from. And if we're going to electrify everything, it's going to require a lot more electricity, which is going to require a lot more transmission. So it's great if we build more solar farms and more wind farms, but we got to be able to actually get that electricity to communities. Yeah. Um, and so that's what that's all about. Um, we also are doing a lot of public lands work. If we look at um, emissions in this country, 
uh, right around 25% of emissions in the United States come off of public lands. Um, right. As citizens, those are lands that like we are supposed to have say in. So um, doing a lot of work to um, encourage more monument designations from the admin and then understand the leasing structures for um, how uh, how different different industry is able to work on public land so that we can a make sure that we uh, that we reduce extraction where where we can and uh, and then also just reduce um, greenhouse gas emissions off of public lands in general. What's what's going to be next for you, Graham? I mean, I know you're on a book tour right now, but that's going to have to stop some point. And uh, what uh, what's what's next for you? Well, uh, I'll just say that, you know, as we talk about balance uh, and a balance between marriage and advocacy work and climbing. And your um, dog. Don't forget. Your and my dog. dog. Actually, I should share <laughs> that is the one oversight in the book. Uh, we got a new puppy who is not. She did not uh, show up in time to make it on the back cover. So we now have two dogs. <laughs> Pebble and Iggy. I'm Iggy. I'm so sorry you're not on the book. Good thing you don't uh, <laughs> don't speak English. Um, but um, uh, you know, it's. I think that once we get off of this book tour, um, it's gonna be time to balance things out with uh, making sure that that Shannon knows that she is adored and uh, and actually going to do some climbing because I'll tell you what, um, <laughs> going on book tour is not great for climbing. Right. Right. Thoughts about where you want to climb next? It's a great question. Um, you know, as I look at the coming seasons, uh, there are a lot of objectives in Alaska that I've got in my mind. There are a number of obje objectives in South America that I have in my mind. So we've got some irons in the fire on planning for those. Yeah. And then, uh, but to like give you something actually we could talk about, I'll share that something else I've been working on is trying to put up a route every year that is people something people actually repeat. Um, I've done spent a lot of time putting up big, hard, scary routes in the big mountains that nobody like will ever go do again. And right. uh, <laughs> and there's a certain joy to putting in really well developed routes that are closer to home that our community can go enjoy. Um, so looking for some stuff that's like big and gnarly and badass and then looking for some stuff that is oh, um cool. things that things that our community can, community can really enjoy so looking to balance both of those hey our time's coming to a close here anything that you want to mention that I, we haven't talked about that would be uh important to re listeners readers um you know I'll, I'll just share that uh if you if you pick up the book uh i'd love to hear what you think one of my favorite parts of this process has been hearing what others get from it um yeah it's my it's my life so i have my opinions on it and uh and hearing hearing what others are getting from the story has just been such a cool part of the process and uh and then also if you buy it i encourage you to buy it uh from independent bookstores because independent bookstores are awesome Awesome. What? Uh, where can they reach you if they want to want to send you some intel on the book? Uh, I'll say that Instagram's the easiest way to track me down. Just yep. at Graham Zimmerman. Great, Graham. You're leading a fascinating, exciting life. Uh, it's great to sit and uh, wrap with you a little bit about it. Good luck on your book tour. Hey, super appreciate it. I hope you have a great day. You've been listening to the Ben Don't Break podcast powered by The Source Weekly. To read, hear, and see more of what we do, go to bensource.com.